0: Hi, I'm Bill, and I'm Nikolai, and this is the Foreign Influence Podcast, the last one of this calendar year, I believe, the very last one, probably the best one as well. (laughs) Yes, every single one. Optimistic. It's constant improvement. It's unbelievable at the Foreign Influence Podcast. Just it's relentless. Much like the impeachment process of <laughs> yes. your presidency. So since our last episode, Donald Trump is, in fact, impeached. It's unbelievable. It's Only happened. the third one in U.S. history. If only we could
1: get that bureaucratic process to finish, though.
0: Right. Because someone's well, holding back, right? Yeah. So Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she is holding back at this moment. Maybe this will change between now and when you listen to this, to uh, send the approved impeachment on to the U.S. Senate where an actual trial would occur, because there is a spat right now between the Republican and Democratic Mm -hmm. leadership in the Senate over what the trial would actually look like, how long it would last. So, for example, there's so few rules around this (laughs) that, that the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, could gavel it open. Mm. and then they could say, all right, let's all vote, and it would be done right. in, like, 15 minutes. Right, yeah, but that would be way too efficient. We, <laughs> right, well, right, for an inevitable outcome. Right. Because partisanship being what it is, we know where this is But is, is she going. allowed to hold it back? Is she uh- Oh, apparently. Uh, Who knew? Apparently
1: no one, it stipulated nowhere that she should actually send <laughs> right, it out. I,
0: I would think that the Senate would be able to say, okay, thank you very much, it's done. But no, apparently she uh, wow. she can hold it back.
1: Maybe she could, uh, what else could she, is she allowed to shut down the internet?
0: Oh, no, no, no. You got to save that yeah. up for, uh, let's see, you know, dictatorial countries like uh, China and, uh, and as it turns out now, India.
1: Oh, Yeah.
0: Which is a bizarre twist uh, from this week. So a law was passed in India recently that uh, under what is proving to be a very conservative pro-Hindu, pro-Hindu religion uh, administration under Prime Minister Modi, uh, this new law would make it easier for everyone except Muslims to immigrate to India.
1: Pro-Hindu. Yes, Yes, they're not anti-anyone in particular.
0: Well, no, they're, they're pro-everybody, but just not Muslims. Right, right, right. And of course, there's a long-standing history here ever since colonization, deep, deep history and partition and all this kind of thing. This goes to the history of Pakistan and India. But India is trying wow. to go more Hindu nationalist. You'd think that the Hindu would be
1: accepting of religious differences somehow. It with their could... two
0: thousand different gods, <laughs> and their... what's
1: one more? Yeah, what's one
0: more? Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. What's the big deal? Yeah, there's a deep history on this, and it's really flaring up. There are there are protests across the country over this new law, to the point where they shut down the internet in places.
1: Someone managed to find the internet and
0: shut it down. <laughs> well, they called the customer service center. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's a right cruel there. joke. That's a. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they walked down the street
1: to the customer service center. The guy's cousin he <laughs> <works> here. <laughs> this isn't going to help anyone,
0: Bill. No, no, no. Anyway, it's it's a it's a bad scene right now in India, of course, the world's largest democracy. Mm. The world's largest democracy uh, that is going through well, interestingly, through so you've got this rise of ultra Hindu nationalism. Occasionally out of China, you catch wind of Uh, Pan-Hanism Han is the people that they consider themselves To be mainstream Chinese Consider themselves to be Um, You know we had white nationalist support In the US for Trump There's kind of this larger Ethnic nationalist trend Rising And
1: it's not good Well that's what you get in a smaller and smaller world Right Uh, (laughs) Interesting Do we like each other? I'm not so sure (laughs) Yeah right
0: well, I, I didn't like any of the Dutch until I met you, and it's like, well, I don't know. I like people who are mostly so, like me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're great. So it's it's a right. It's it's a, a a slap back to globalization. Yep. Yeah. Right. I think it it's is. It's a rebound. It's a rebound. Uh, yeah. And hopefully, we'll come through that um, well on the other side. I but, hope so. Well, one more issue that we want to address in this pre-holiday special. Uh, The trade war, which, of course, has consumed a lot of international attention between Mm -hmm. China and the U.S., uh, has involved agricultural products quite a bit. Uh, We now have a phase one agreement, as they're calling it, uh, in the trade war between China and the U.S., and it includes a lot of sales of agricultural products, maybe more than China can consume. But I know a guy. I know a guy back in Illinois... He's a farmer, uh, and his farm is back outside of Peoria, Illinois. His name is Bill Hickey. Uh, you will find out more about him because I have an interview. I talked to him just last night. You've talked to farmer uh, Bill Hickey. I did, and uh, got a brief conversation, about 20 minutes, wow. and we'll find out what it's like to live on the front war, <laughs> on the front lines of the trade war. And just for people who don't know where Peoria, Illinois is, God forbid... They wouldn't know. Most do, but yeah, for the handful that don't. It's in Trump country. Oh, very much so. And so this is an interesting thing about Bill. I got to know him, I've lived in Peoria before, and I got to know him through different channels. And uh, he is actually, as he put it himself, uh, a blue dot in a sea of red. So he is a liberal person uh, in a very conservative part of the country, part of the world, and part of Illinois, and a conservative industry. Wow! So uh, it's an interesting conversation about how someone who is outside of the mainstream of their world, uh, but still has to deal with these policies, uh, how they see things. So uh, can't so, wait to hear it, man. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk to yeah. Bill, and uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's and fire it. this up. All right, Bill. Uh, thanks very much for uh, coming on our podcast. it's a
2: pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, you are on a farm in central Illinois, and you have deep roots there. Can you tell me a little bit about that, please?
2: Yeah. uh, The area of central Illinois that I am in uh, is in between uh, a small city called Peoria and the big city of Chicago, Illinois. And my family has been here since the mid to late 1800s. And I am the fifth consecutive generation of my family to farm this farm and the fourth consecutive generation to live in this house uh, so we've been here a while and uh, my family collectively has seen a lot of changes uh, politically and technologically in this
0: region that's just extraordinary <laughs> to have been in that in, in that one spot to, to be fifth generation like that that's uh, that's amazing it is it's well it's the testament to the the caution
2: and the ingenuity of the previous generations that um, the, the single business has survived that lot. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and it is also a responsibility for me to uh, steward the business, steward the land well, and so that uh, another generation uh, can, uh, can continue after me. Um, generational wealth, it, it, it matters. And it's very helpful, and, and American Midwestern agriculture wouldn't exist without it.
0: Huh. Well, speaking of the, the viability of the business, um, of course, uh, you grow soybeans and corn, which are the two primary crops um, in, that, in that area. Um, and of course, that's been very much the focus of the trade war. Uh, many of us follow the trade war, and sales of soybeans to China have very much been a part of it. Uh, there's been an agreement. Supposedly a phase one agreement recently that's supposed to lead to increased sales. Um, You're on the front lines of this trade war. What's that like? Uh, Well,
2: there is no question that um, the trade war has depressed the prices of commodities that we tend to grow in in my area of the Midwest, uh, which, as you mentioned, are, are corn and soybeans. And this is grain corn, uh, which is dry, pelleted little bits of corn, not the sweet corn that we would eat off the cob. It's a completely different product. Uh, the, what we grow mostly is animal food, and it has been uh, one of the most important by both volume and value uh, exports of the United States into the world at large. And Our number one uh, customer for soybeans until recently was China. And so when President Trump applied tariffs against goods that came from China to America, they naturally responded with uh, uh, tariffing goods that come from America into China, and that is mostly agricultural products. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it has damaged it. The threat of it damaged prices. Um, and just the rumor of an easement on the tariffs are improving prices right now prices are higher right now than they have been in probably a year or more um and uh it just it just goes to show that that the the trade war has very real measurable tangible effects
0: Hmm. has it pushed a lot of people to the brink in any way or there have been payouts to try to offset some of this uh,
2: there, has, there have. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the majority of the of the midwestern bankruptcies um, that have happened in the last year or so that you could argue um, that the trade war has contributed to them are are north of me in uh, the parts of the country where dairy cattle and and milk and cheese production are uh, much bigger parts of the rural economy than. Uh, than they are here, um, and these these farmers, the dairy farmers, have had a pretty rough time for at mu- much of the last decade, and the last year or so has been hard on them as well. And and that you know they started out in in worse shape than 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 most of us down here. Down here, I think more it has been uh, guys taking on uh, a lot more debt to stay in business to to. Uh, purchase their inputs to uh, uh, pay their hired help, um, and just holding on, uh, and probably some early retirements. But I haven't heard of a lot of direct, a lot of bankruptcies that we could directly attribute to to the trade war in my immediate area. Um, and certainly, I haven't heard of any any suicides or or that sort of thing. Um, it's grim, but it's been short enough that not sure that it's going to drive uh, a large portion of, of local farmers out of business
0: it's horrible to think that suicide is even something that would fold into this um, but so i'm i'm glad that's not happening um but are the there are famously Payouts being going to farmers as a way to offset Indeed. some of this um, how's that viewed is positive um, negatively yeah. well
2: it's i i I think that that but well by America at large it is viewed uh i think as as a tremendously expensive project um, and that's true it is um, uh, more expensive than the auto bailouts uh, in yeah. uh, two thousand and eight and nine right um, and of course. Famously, those were loans that were going to be paid back, uh, and these aren't. Um, these are, oh, are that straight is an up.
0: interesting distinction.
2: <laughs> yeah, these these are straight up bailouts, and um, they help. Uh, I, I won't deny it. They help, um, but they don't make up for the loss of uh, market value um, that came as a result of just the rumors of the trade war, let alone the actual trade war being. Well, I guess fought. <laughs>
0: yeah, what do you but, call it? Uh, uh,
2: uh, but they they do help. They do help. Um, I think, and I've I've heard this from other farmers, um, that overwhelmingly people would much rather have markets to sell into than payouts from the government. Uh, I think that 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 would be everybody's preference. Uh-huh. Um, but. Uh, that that the payouts are coming, uh, it helps. And it was designed to help. Uh, Rural, Midwestern America voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. Um, And it doesn't necessarily, as a block, represent that many votes. But because of the way the Electoral College works, it does represent important support. And uh, I think... That the bailouts were an important political strategy um, uh, in in trying to maintain that support uh, through uh, the 2018 midterm elections and then looking ahead to the 2020 presidential elections. Um, mm-hmm. But I honestly, I honestly don't think that the the Republican Party generally or the president specifically uh, are going to lose very much support in the rural Midwest, um, among rural Midwesterners and general, and farmers in particular.
0: That would actually be my thought on it, too, that these are folks that are dedicated to this modern Republican Party and to President Trump, uh, regardless of the money. Um, Is that true? Is there a depth of support there that has almost nothing to do with the trade war and economics?
2: Well, I, nobody around here is happy about the trade war, but mm. um, it's the, the tariffs have hurt. They they've been bad, um, and um, farmers are uh, pretty global in their economic outlook, and uh, you know trade barriers are uh, a little frowned upon. Um, uh, we we want to be able to sell our our beef and our pork and our grain all over the world. Um, and, uh, and we're really good at producing all that and, uh, um, and, and proud of it, and, and perhaps rightfully so. Uh, but the trade war, ooh, that, that hurts. You know? I mean, one, it's, it sets up a bunch of barriers to trade, and, and then it hurts, it hurts prices and hurts local economies that are already in not terribly great shape. But <clears throat> what farmers are being told is it's worth it. Uh, that China has been uh, an unfair trade partner um, and that uh, President Trump is going to set it right and that uh, farmers are suffering now, but it's a patriotic duty. And I don't know to what extent rural America is uh, jumping up and down with joy over that argument, um, i th- I think it's being being treated with a little more a little more cynicism than than that, but you know I've heard it quoted <laughs> maybe a little bit a little bit tongue in cheek but you know there is there is a belief that um, uh, that China has been taking advantage of the United States and this this president is setting it right and it'll be worth it hmm,
1: hmm.
0: um you know, in other episodes of, of our podcast, I have uh, talked about how um, while there's many ways in which I would disagree with President Trump, I do think that China needed to be confronted um, on a variety of issues, maybe not in this particular way, <laughs> but needed to be confronted. Uh, so maybe it doesn't surprise me entirely that 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 argument would work. Uh, but but you know there's probably still depth of support there from like cultural issues, aren't there? I mean these uh, folks were Republicans are. well before Trump.
2: There are. Um, it's my it's it's my feeling uh, that among rural Midwesterners, the support for the Republican Party is sort of um, incidental as opposed to by design. Um, that what. Because uh, President Obama, in 2008, uh, his first term, beginning his election for his first term, actually garnered a f- pretty fair amount of rural midwestern support. Mm. Uh, uh, far more so than he did the second time around, and far, far more so than than Hillary Clinton did against uh, uh, President Trump.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but there are some issues where the and ways in which uh, the rural Midwest feels a bit put upon, um, by the, oh, you know, by the coasts, by the, you know, the coastal elites and the, uh, you know, uh, the intelligentsia of, of the country who to their minds, to our minds, I suppose, um, uh, are very out of touch with, uh, with what's happening on the ground here in the rural Midwest. Now, <clears throat> I think it's very important to note that uh my fellow rural Midwesterners are not idiots and they can fully well understand that President Trump uh is a very wealthy New Yorker. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily <laughs> yeah. have any better an understanding of what um you know a, a soybean farmer's life is like than, you know, uh, uh Nancy Pelosi or 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 or, well, for that matter, Dick Durbin. Um, uh, who, he's a he's a senator here in Illinois. Yes. Um. Uh, but. But President Trump made big issues of some things that really resonated here, um, and really resonated with with rural Midwesterners. And the trade war is bad. It's 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 perhaps not an utter and complete economic disaster, but it is bad. And yet, I'm not seeing a lot of erosion of President Trump's support, and I think that the reason for that is that rural Midwesterners are getting a lot of other things um, that they want out of this president. Um, Some of those things are because he's Republican, but some of those things are because he's Donald Trump. Mm. And his rhetoric, his cult of personality resonated here, um, hmm. and I don't see that support eroding all that much, uh, despite the news reports of the occasional farmer that they can dig up in, in Ohio or somewhere who voted for Trump and now is very vocally opposed to him, uh, sure, um, but that's, uh, that's not going to significantly move the, the demographic voting patterns, in, in my opinion.
0: Well, and these tend to be very cultural, uh, well, conservative areas on all of the fronts that that many, many people are familiar with. And of course, I've lived not far from where you live. I've lived in Peoria, Mm -hmm. so very Mm -hmm. familiar with this area, you know, on the issues of of guns and abortion and uh, these sorts of things. These are all standard Republican issues. And um, even though... President Trump wasn't necessarily in line with those issues when he began. He has now thoroughly adopted those, and that's enough to solidify support, I would think.
2: He has. He Well, he has. And, and his signature issue has been uh, strict. Uh, one might say draconian uh, enforcement of our southern border, and yeah. that is popular here. Mm. Um, hmm. And depending on listeners' understanding of... Um, of American agriculture, um, they, they may or may not be aware that uh, a lot of American agriculture relies on immigrant labor, uh, but that is not true in my part of the country. Um, in my part of the country, we are heavily mechanized, um, and the labor is, for the most part, you know, full or part-time and local. Um, uh, we don't have um, seasonal migration for, for labor. That, that doesn't happen here. That's, that's more, much more common in California. Rural Midwesterners can be very much in favor of President Trump's strict, you know, southern border immigration policies without then suffering, a, you know, an economic um, problem as a result. Um, so they are, they are on board um, with that. Um hmm. pretty, pretty happy about it. Uh, it, has been my observation. And then they get uh, deregulation of uh, environmental regulations, of various forms of red tape, of things that they might interpret as draining the swamp out in D.C., those those out-of-touch hmm. bureaucrats who, uh, you know, make rules and then force rules upon people uh, who live hundreds or thousands of miles away um, uh, with whom they have no connection um, and no understanding of. Um, and to whatever degree any of this is factually true, it's believed to be true, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, so so. And, and we are we are seeing deregulation. Um, we are huh. seeing um, uh, deregulation in the United States Department of Agriculture. We're seeing it in the Environmental Protection Agency uh, at the state and federal levels, um, and whether a particular rural Midwesterner is affected by a given regulation or not, the fact that it's no longer being enforced is a good thing to them. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're getting all of this stuff uh, with President Trump. And the, the regular conservative culture war things. Um, uh, yeah. Which depending on the age of the person that we're, that we're considering here may or may not be all that important. Mm. Um, uh, the, you know, younger people tend to be a lot more okay with homosexuality, as an example, than older people. And, and that's true regardless of region.
0: Well, hey, Bill, I appreciate your time uh, this yeah. evening, your morning, because of the time <laughs> zone difference. Uh, you know, you just finished Indeed. up, a, I guess, a rough harvest season um, but planting season will start here in what, th- three months, maybe something like
2: that. Uh, I, I hope to start in the middle part of April,
0: um, okay.
2: uh, every year, um, <laughs> it, it remains to be seen what, uh, nature, uh, will do to us next year. Uh, <laughs> this, this past year was very wet in the spring when we plant, uh, somewhat dry and hot in the summer. And uh, pretty wet and cold in the autumn uh, when we try to harvest. And, and uh, those three things in combination are uh, uh, kind of bad <laughs> that's for the perfect storm. Uh, Midwestern grain agriculture.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope the upcoming planting season goes more smoothly uh, than this past one. Um, I appreciate and, that. Thank you. And again, there's a, there's a deal in place. So maybe more sales are coming. Uh, if the phase one deal goes through?
2: Well, uh, we, we've already seen some short-term uh, increase in, in commodity prices. Um, they, they've uh, Soybeans in particular, but but they're dragging corn along with. They have shot up in the last oh, week and a half or so. Uh-huh. And that's based on rumors. I mean, that's not, this is by no means a do <laughs> Just don't, imagine if there's facts behind yeah. it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh uh, you know, we might we might see some some improvement. Now, <clears throat> if I can editorialize a little political opinion sure. uh, analysis in, into this, um, uh, I, I'm glad that the prices are going up, but I also am, am aware, cynically, of how this is going to be interpreted as, you know, look at this great good that President Trump did, and, and it's like, you know, he caused it to go down in the first place, and now it's going back to where it was before he caused the harm, so why are you patting him on the back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if if he's hitting you on the head, and then he stops hitting you on the head, you can be thankful that he stopped hitting you on the head, but why are you thanking him? He shouldn't have been hitting you on the head in the first place.
0: Yes, right, right. Well, it's curious, right, whether it will be interpreted as a benefit, or it will all just try to quietly be forgotten. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it, it, dis- it kind of depends on how one is inclined to interpret it uh, in terms of what political team one is on. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm pretty far to the left and very unusual as a result, but rural Midwesterners in general um, and farmers in particular uh, tend, to tend to lean right and uh, I believe that they are uh, and remain pretty supportive of the president of his policies. And uh, I don't see that changing.
0: Thank you again, and um, we'll uh, you know we'll check back in, and uh, we'll see how things are going as as this progresses.
2: Sure, I would uh, I would be happy to be your uh, uh, consultant on the rural Midwest moving forward.
0: <laughs> Fantastic, thanks a lot, Bill. All right. All right, so that was Bill Hickey. He is a farmer. He is indeed. From uh, central Illinois, on the front lines of the trade war, uh, giving his sense of what it's like to try to continue to make a living in that environment, as well as being someone out of of step with the the politics. Definitely an eye-opener
1: for me, man. Like I had no idea what it would be like for someone really there as a farmer. I mean, it's unbelievable.
0: It's unbelievable. Well, so few people farm anymore. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, this is a story, at least in the U.S., I know the statistics. You know, farming used to be like 80% of the population. Right. And now it's like one. One. One percent. Unbelievable. Farm it's all that massive food shift. Yeah. that goes globally. Well, and this ties back into the conversation well, that I we had yeah, with a mint protein uh, that we've mm. urbanized as a species. Yeah, we are now an urban species.
1: 2009, right? That brings with it enormous challenges uh, in terms of. Agriculture, in terms of because what, what does it mean, right? When you have fewer and fewer farms, when your production is outside of the city. So, urban farming is a subject that comes up time and time again. Environmental challenges, that's yeah, all very interesting.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, we're living in a, a rapidly changing but still connected world. Well, unless they turn off the internet. Yes. Thank but, God. God forbid. I'd love to have a break. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You know, this is where we usually do the happy news. So, I'm going to bring in. Oh. Oh. I'm going to bring in the music here, but there is no the, happy news. I think the happy news is, happy holidays, everybody. Oh, happy holidays! Yeah, so Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year to you. Uh, Enjoy. All I don't the time celebrate Christmas. It's not it's, my thing. It's going to be. A, oh no. No. Huh. But yeah. you know, I, I can be a cultural Christmas guy. But don't you love Baby Jesus? Well, Of course. Thank you, Baby Jesus. Thank you, Baby Jesus. <laughs> But Happy New Year to you as well. Thanks for listening, and uh, we will be talking to you again next year. Talk soon.